You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Hello and welcome to another edition of Global Trade This Week. I am your host, Doug Draper. And normally I say across the pond, not across the pond, but across the country is Pete Mento, but Pete is on assignment. That's what you use in the news business when you say That's he's right. on vacation or out of pocket. So uh, I'm excited to have Keenan Brew from uh, from our uh, uh, production team join us. Keenan, what's up, man? Hey, it's good to be on this side of the camera. You know, I get to chat with you gents before and after the show each week and get to edit it together, but excited to be uh, here on this side of it with you. Yeah, that's awesome. It's great to have you. Appreciate it. And um, before we jump in, just want to remind everybody, Cap Logistics uh, are the ones that put this together. Like Keenan said, he's usually in the box pushing the buttons and the levers. Uh, so we're excited to have him on this side. So please visit caplogistics.com for transportation logistics services. And uh, I think we'll just kind of jump into it. Does that sound all right, Keenan? Sounds great. You know, I wanted to kick us off this week with something that I was excited for uh, Pete's take on, and maybe we'll get to hear his take next week on it. Uh, after last week's show, both the Senate and the House passed the Inflation Reduction Act. And so uh, President Biden is due to sign this this week, and then they're going to be celebrating it in September and kind of trying to play this all the way through um, November and um, actual voting in situations. But the Inflation Reduction Act has that name though it's really sort of a build back better infrastructure type bill. It's really sort of a, a clean energy like climate change bill, which a lot of people like parts of it and different things, though there's not too much in there actually aimed at reducing inflation. It's just one of those things, you know, you got to name stuff to get it passed, even if it has nothing to do with uh, the act itself. Um, mm -hmm. I could be wrong. Maybe it's long and there's more analysis, but a lot of the analysis I've seen so far is that it's more like a build back better uh, they're going to, you know, have a billion and a half for planting trees. It's like almost a $500 billion um, act. Um, however, with all that stuff being said, they're also making announcements saying in July, you know, we didn't have as much inflation even before this act. Um, I'm seeing something a little different on the logistics side. We put together some economic analysis for Cap Logistics top customers. Um, and one of the things we noticed this month was that the PPI or the purchaser's price index is still outpacing CPI or the producer's price index is still outpacing CPI, consumer price index. And so even as we've been seeing and noticing inflation for a while now in the consumer sphere, and the narrative has kind of been that some corporations are being greedy and just charging more prices because they can and different things like that, um, we're actually seeing higher numbers year over year for the producers. And so what that seems to indicate to me is that even with this act that may or may not address much inflation, we're still looking at the rest of the year that we could have prices rise because the costs have been going up on manufacturers that haven't yet been passed on to consumers. And a lot of this in the, the month over month information that you hear about, you know, we didn't have inflation in July. A lot of that was really dependent on energy. That was pretty much oil market changes going on, um, maybe some Iranian oil deal stuff going on. Um, but we're going to be seeing increasing prices for consumers for 
the next six months, it's very possible. You know, I agree mm -hmm. with what you and Pete have talked about for certain items, you know, large screen TVs and things like that. There's going to be fire sales. It's going to be cheaper than ever before as the inventory needs to get cleared out and those types of things. There will be some very affordable deals. Um, but overall, I think producers are going to still have to be passing on their costs to their customers. Mm -hmm. So I know yeah. I mentioned a lot. It's kind of a wide ranging topic, but feel free to wrap on any part of that you see. No. Yeah. Well, first, uh, the uh, Build Back Better, I mean, Inflation Reduction Act, right? Yeah. I love your take on that because I would agree uh, a little bit. And um, everything good there, man? Oh, yeah. Just opened up a door. had a fly buzzing around here. Uh, okay, cool. So I, I love that take on it. You're exactly right. You start looking at it and you're like, what? I'm not sure. Let's just rebrand what we didn't pass earlier and see what happens. So, but um, when you had shot over this topic uh, a little bit ago, I'm thinking almost like a seawall, right? The seawall is the production piece of it that you described. And so the waves come in hot and heavy, right? That's the big, um, the big influx and the seawall breaks it up a little bit. And then, so when you're in port, you still get a little bit of those waves, but that was the first thing that came to mind with your topic. Uh, but, I, but I think you're right. There's a little bit of buffer there. Uh, whenever the raw materials are turned into uh, you know, a consumable, whether that's tangible good, food, you know, things of that nature. So anyway, I, I totally get it. The C takes a little ways to uh, to slow up, but inflation's a number people love to hound on, and um, that's not the necessarily direct um, indication of what you and I are experiencing every single day. All of a sudden, our problems are not solved because a report comes out that talks about flat inflation month over month. So I, I like that take as well. So, you know, nice. you and Pete have already been kind of talking about these things with uh, how politics might twinge um, just the narratives of things, you know, whether it's the definition of a recession no longer being just two quarters of negative or, you know, reduced growth GDP, uh, shrinking mm -hmm. GDP. Um, you just got to kind of look at the actual number. Like CPI is also one of those things that even before the local politics in this year, over the last several decades, they've been changing what goes in there, what doesn't go in there, how people report on it. And in some cases, those are improvements in trying to make better indexes. And sometimes it's more of, we need the story we need to tell. So we got to like make the numbers look that way. Um, I think yeah. America does a much better job at giving you actual economic data compared to some countries. Like a lot of people just don't really trust what's happening in China. And China's been having, from what we know, maybe some rough economic times with um, their finance sector, their housing sector, some of that stuff going on. And so uh, it's one of those where, yeah, we're seeing interesting mixed signals. I think we are likely seeing recessionary forces and we're going to be seeing increased costs being passed from producers to consumers in a lot of ways, even if we have some really crazy deals on TVs this Cyber uh, mm -hmm. Friday and such, Cyber Monday and Black Friday and all that stuff. Going to be some crazy right. deals, but... Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a wild ride for the rest of the year. Cool. Yeah, how about your All first right. topic? We're, Kick us off. We're, we're going to have to name that fly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was leaving me alone all morning until we turn on the camera. Then all of a sudden it wants to have some air time. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So my first topic is uh, related to can collaboration between competitors primarily in transportation help solve our supply chain crisis? I, I've seen some. Uh, some uh, some comments, some writings recently about, hey, let's have competitors collaborate uh, to help reduce some of the congestion, the bottleneck, and the delays. 
And immediately, Keenan, my thought went to the concept of book smarts and street smarts, right? Book smarts is what you learn in school in a vacuum, all the things that you're learning, analyzing, putting numbers around really makes sense. And the best laid plans uh, are just that until you get smacked in the face, uh, which what Mike Tyson had said is that that's the street smarts, right? So it may sound good on a piece of paper and talk about all the efficiencies and the gains, but the reality, Keenan, is they are competitors. And that's, you know, it may tell competitors, your objective is to do better than your competitors. So your mutual clients will want to work with you instead of the other. So I, I think it's, it's a little naive, in my personal opinion, that a collaborative effect uh, and engagement will solve all the world's problems because we have to overcome the concept of collaboration amongst competitors first. Now, I'm sure there's industries out there that that's happened. And, um, and you know, if any of our folks are listening and they want to throw some things in the comments about how competitors collaborating have worked, um, and maybe there's one or two instances in the supply chain over the years, but I think to solve something monumental is the supply chain crisis. Competitors um, collaborating, I, I, don't, I don't think that's really a deal. The only thing I could see happening is if the competitors are using a neutral third party. And that would be kind of uh, the, the best example I can think of is the final mile. Um, all of the carriers in some form or fashion uh, look at a crowdsourcing final mile delivery. You know, you got folks that are in their cars uh, with their phones trying to make deliveries. So if FedEx, Amazon, UPS, to some degree, are using final mile crowdsourcing delivery folks, and um, they are making deliveries for all three entities, um, I could see that a little bit. The one, the one challenge would be the technologies are proprietary. So mm -hmm. if I'm delivering packages on behalf of all three of those carriers, I have three different technologies. Even if they're on my phone, I got to log into a different application to take my picture and upload it. So um, conceptually, it sounds good. I think it, it checks a box with some of the uh, environmental concerns that we have. And I really think it's a good idea, but the practicality of it and the street smarts in me, Keenan, this is a long way from being a realistic uh, a solution to some of our uh, supply chain capacities. Maybe in the final mile, but I still think that's quite a ways out. I think your instincts are spot on of what could happen if it works out well. And maybe there are instances like you were talking with Final Mile or, um, you know, a couple of years ago, even looking at what companies were trying to voluntarily do as far as standards for using blockchain or some sort of like, we're going to make up our own industry standard for mm -hmm. international transportation it would kind of work. But then, yeah, it does get to the, well, Everyone wants to own it. Everyone wants to have the data. Everyone wants to be in control because ultimately they are competitors. And if they don't act that way, they will probably be taken out by the competitor who does act more monopolistically and try to create the most value for them and their shareholders and their customers. But there's also intermediate parts where, you know, if everyone's really busy and we can help each other, I think we've probably seen some of that over the last couple of years um, where like, you know, we at Cap Logistics gets quote requests from other brokers, other people with assets trying to see us to do it. But honestly, you know, we might consider it if it's a strategic partnership, but we're probably going to be working directly with the customers and we're not as interested in coming up with a quote for you and doing the, your job and then, you know, all that sort of stuff. So mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I think you're also right that competitors can collaborate more effectively when there is that third party, whether it's a government regulation of this is just the rule, this is how international maritime laws work, this is how this trade agreement works. Now within this framework, do what you will need to do. And then there might be some collaborative wins in there. But mm -hmm. the individual companies are pretty incentivized to do the best they can, and they want to dominate their space. Um, yeah. And, to, you know, a regulatory, when, when you're just saying that, Keenan, there needs to be a regulatory body that will put everybody in their right corner and talk about how they're going to come together to work. Because I could see, hey, we're competitors, but let me go ahead and deliver that final mile for you. And you're like, no, that's okay, but I'll deliver, the, I'll deliver your package on our equipment. And then there's this you know, U.S. Soviet distrust, so to speak, right? So I think the uh, there needs to be a governing regulatory body, which just adds to another layer of chaos. Right. So I, yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Go down a wormhole on this. Like, do you even want that? If Depending on who makes it, is it going to be bureaucrats? Do they know what the industry is or needs? And then yeah. another area you'd have to consider is enforcement. Even if you have something like the World Trade Organization, historically, they haven't really been able to enforce um a lot of the findings of, you know, oh, China or this country broke this uh, value added tax, like loophole thing. And then, well, yeah. what can you really do about it? Um, so, yeah, interesting topic for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, the uh, we're about ready to jump into our halftime. Um, excited to hear Keenan's take. Of course, halftime brought to you by, by Cap Logistics. So, um, yeah, sometimes uh, uh, Pete's halftimes just kind of go off the rails a little bit. So I'm anxious to hear what you have to say there, Keenan. I'll let you go first. Sure. Well, I am stoked uh, this morning. I just finally successfully compiled and flashed my 3D printer to work again. So this kind of will tie into logistics and industry more broadly that there's been a rapid decrease in the price and increase in the capability of 3D printers. I'm into technology. I've sort of been following this stuff for a long time. Um, with a coupon, I was able to go to uh, Micro Center here in Colorado and get a $100 3D printer, parts. I had to put it together, sort of kit. Um, that would have been $5,000, you know, five years ago, eight years ago, something like that. Um, so the capabilities have really increased of what people can do with these things. And uh, my personal win was that after accidentally breaking it, I had flashed the memory with a voice-activated project I'd used for a different um, different project. So it, the software was totally borked, wouldn't turn on, wouldn't do anything. And I had to learn a lot of firmware to get it all working. But speaking of collaborative, um, there are areas, especially in open source software, where people like myself and smarter people who do a lot more development work make work available. And then that could become the the groundwork, the framework that then a for-profit company in Shenzhen uses this version of software and then makes a little modification and they're selling it. But ultimately, it's being driven by the users, the programmers who are adding and making it. So it was messy. It took a lot of reading and figuring out. But because there's so many goodwilled people doing good work without expecting any money, I was able mm -hmm. to get my machine up and running again. So pretty stoked about that. The printing will continue. Nice. And what, what did you say you paid for it? A hundred dollars? A hundred dollars. Yeah. Five wow. years ago, this was like a $5,000 machine equivalent, but now it was a hundred bucks. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That's cool, man. So 
Well, my uh, halftime kind of goes a little bit to our first topic. I was in uh, our nation's capital this weekend, Keenan. Flew out there, was involved with this conference for uh, college-age kids, talking to them about being good stewards and and, uh, developing leadership uh, um, techniques and things as they grow older. But that's not what this uh, halftime's about. It's about uh, my trip when I went out to do a little sightseeing. And I hadn't been to... um, DC in probably 10 years, right? Yeah. So I went out and saw some of the, the sites on the mall and a couple of things that was kind of uh, disheartening. It wasn't disturbing and I wasn't mad about it. It was just disheartening is that any type of, any place I went to get a good visual, um, uh, Washington Monument, the, the White House, everything has uh, a barricade and then there's a fence around it with barbed wire. And then there's probably some uh, s- uh, Secret Service cops around. And then the wall or the fence. So that that iconic view of the White House with the, uh, you know, the black fence in front of it. Well, the reality, it's kind of like when you go on vacation, you're like, here's this beautiful beach in Rio. And then you take a picture of what it actually looks like. And it's horrible. Yeah. So, that fence is there, but in front of that fence is another fence that has barbed wire that blocks your view. And in front of that is a Jersey barrier, those big blockades that they, they put on roads. So you can't even do that. And it, it just, it was a little disheartening. So I turned around, literally turned around. And if you've been there, you just can kind of turn around to an open grass area and look at the Washington Monument. The entire grass area, which is very large, was fenced off. So you couldn't even get on the uh, uh, the grass area, so everybody was relegated to the sidewalk, and you got Segway tours and people and and and, and uh, tourists. It was just congested, right? It was just blah. And I literally, I left. I'm like, this is crazy. This is not what, in my opinion, founding fathers would want to, you know, embrace all these things. So I was shocked at how rigid and fenced off everything was. And then the other piece that took me by surprise was the uh, homelessness, right? I know that's a challenge, especially here in Denver, people from watching the show from Denver. I know that's a big deal across the entire country. Um, and, and I was shocked that it's pretty bad there as well. Um, and then if you've ever been in there, there's this area called Chinatown, which is like three blocks long. And we were walking home from dinner about 11 o'clock at night. And we shot through that area, which probably wasn't the smartest thing to do, but that was pretty rough too. So I don't know. It's the nation's capital. And uh, I wasn't, I was just disheartened a little bit. Right. So the good one, Pete, so those are my two negatives. The the positive um, was the food was awesome. I went to some amazing restaurants there and uh, I think the food in Washington, DC is spot on. So anyway, the conference, the purpose of myself being there was very successful. So that's the check. A little disheartened with uh, the way you can engage with our, our national monuments but the food kicked ass. I'll tell you that. So there you go. Nice. The food was good. Yeah. I wonder how much of that started post nine 11 security state beginning sort of thing. But then mm. I feel like at least from pictures I've seen, some of that's increased since like the Trump era in the last four years, six years yeah. um, where I probably went, I don't know how many years ago now where there was definitely some of that, but I feel like there's getting more of it. Like I remember being tapped on the shoulder of you're not allowed to film here and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. But um, it feels like I was able to go on the grass. Maybe they rotate it and just try to like give the grass a breathing room is my optimism there. 
but yeah. maybe it is just increasing police state keep away from the buildings like the yeah. odds are something could happen so we gotta pretend like everyone could be that threat um i don't know but yeah, yeah. it kind of destroys the magic a little bit huh yeah well if any of our listeners have any take on that too so please please chime in so uh keenan let's roll on second yeah. half of the show what's your second topic yeah so i've been seeing some uh speaking of dc now and the connection with colorado um I've been seeing some contacts in D.C., and it's not just in that one place, but around the world, talking about nuclear energy again. And I've been hearing it from a couple different angles um, where, you know, a year or two ago, you would hear Chernobyl is the show and everyone's afraid of nuclear meltdowns and this sort of thing. And the green environment is very against nuclear because nuclear kills bunnies or something where and I think maybe Pete's made this argument, too, that far fewer people have ever died from the nuclear power generation industry than even coal. I mean, people die in regular coal mining situations or manufacturing. Like, yeah, it's not ideal, but there's just a lot of it. Um, mm -hmm. And the standards for nuclear are so high that you end up getting more radiation coming out of a coal factory, coal power plant than you do for nuclear. So I've just been seeing kind of a resurgence on several fronts, um, some Department of Energy type contacts, uh, investing in fundamental basic science, as well as larger investment groups. Can we commercialize small modular nuclear reactors? Can they be added on to coal power plants, kind of transition and phase them over? Um, there's obviously a lot of issues. You know, everyone's uh, maybe nowadays thinking more of Fukushima than Three Mile Island or Chernobyl, but the TV shows are still big enough that Chernobyl still matters. Fortunately, the technology has already come a long way where you can design much more passively safe if you lose all power like in the fukushima even if you have a backup generator fail and a backup generator fail there are ways of mm -hmm. designing that it just won't do a runaway um i'm a big fan of the thorium fluoride uh, uh molten salt reactors i think those are cool lifters um that's a big area but whatever the technology is i think that that is undeniably a clean and reliable source at economics and scale that we'll be seeing what they're estimating right now is like a trillion dollar industry coming up here soon. So is America going to be a leader in it? Is China going to be a leader in it? You know, I'd like to see America do it, but if we're not going to do it, I'd prefer China to do it than not do it. Cause otherwise, you know, I mean, as far as I'm into solar and I'm into wind, you can't replace all of the needs with those. We need we need baseline. And that's something yeah. I think nuclear can do. And as long as we do it carefully and there's no major accidents, because we do have to overcome a huge PR challenge of of people on the environmentalist side, on all sorts of sides who think of it as negative, um, even just because it uses the same word as nuclear weapons, we can diverge away from nuclear weapon technology. We're talking about power production. Um, and I was also encouraged to find out, I don't know if you get ever uh, uh, read the whole Earth catalog, um, like San Francisco 1960s style, like early hippie environmental movement. Apparently the founder of that, Stuart Brand, has been pro-nuclear for a very long time. And I just uh, discovered that there are people like me, techno hippie economist people <laughs> who can make the argument for nuclear with caution, of course. So that's my second nice. topic there. I don't know if you've seen anything recently or what your gut reactions on nuclear technology for sustainability might be. Yeah. Yeah. I think that in order for that to move forward, 
uh, it's got to have the biggest PR campaign that the world has ever seen, right? I <laughs> yeah. think that, that you you nailed it, right? I, I don't think, well, for number two, anytime somebody talks about it, you're going to throw a picture up of Chernobyl or, or Three Mile Island, right? And, right. and people nowadays weren't even around, you know, yeah. Three Mile Island. So there's this perception. And then the other piece that you mentioned I had not thought of because I thought of those two things uh, is just the use of that word around weapons, right? Oh, yeah. um, and, and the destruction that that caused uh, in, in you know, World War II and, and the devastation went over those power plants, uh, reactors melted down. So um, people, in my opinion, they're scared, they don't understand it, but the opportunity there, um, and I, you know, it's not like I can go in there and, and craft out how a nuclear reactor works, but I think that it just has to overcome the negative perception that it has. And until that is collaboratively put together, um, it's going to be uh, a tough uphill climb. But there's only so much, there's a, the sun and the wind are, are super important, but that's a third prong that I think could really make move mountains uh, as uh, we continue down identifying how to, how to keep our energy uh, moving. So it's a good topic there, Keenan. Good topic. Cheers. And yeah, what do you have for us on the second round? Yeah, so the the thing, I, and I pinged this to you earlier, is that it seems like you can't swing a dead cat around without hearing a story about some company expanding their air freight capacity. So just in the last I don't know, week or so, and not all this has happened in the last week, but it's gotten some some press, but the Thunza Cargo is expanding, Air Canada, Qantas, uh, DB Shanker has expanded, uh, Maersk you know, is expanding in, into air freight. Uh, and then just, I think, I think it was today or even over the weekend that Vietnam Air is going to start a cargo division. So I just thought it was interesting that air freight, air freight, air freight, that's the solution to the supply chain challenge. And, and it certainly is for certain commodities. I get that. Um, and, and I'm sure there was a lot of under, you know, underutilized uh, opportunity there. But my question is, are we chasing um, a consumer buying habit that pivoted really, really quick, right? Um, in the sense that um, the goods of the economy, we talk about goods and services and the goods uh, and the appetite for people to consume and put stuff into their homes and their offices and things of that nature during the height of the pandemic uh, was a huge demand. And then everybody ordered, you know, all the buyers from all major uh, companies that make a widget um, said, oh my gosh, we don't have enough stuff. Let's get more stuff. Well, now the reality is that people have flipped to a uh, a services economy and an experience economy. So people want to get out post-pandemic and uh, experience the world, uh, not bring it inside their home. And so my question is, um, could we see the same thing with air freight? We beef up the air freight capacity to the point where the consumers no longer dictate it. People may uh, just, just, just expect and deal with the supply chain craziness that we have. So my take, Keenan, is that I think it's great Ultimately, there's only uh, a certain type of commodity and price point of commodity that can justify long-term air freight. And uh, if I order a, um, you know, a new lamp for my desk or uh, a new shirt to wear, if it takes three or four days or five days to get there, it's you know, not, not that big of a deal. So my point is I think air freight is going to be over capacity here in a very short period of time. And we're going to be hearing liquidations of the same companies saying, we got too much of this and they're trying to get rid of it. So I think in the air freight market, everybody's jumping in, but they're chasing a consumer buying habit that has already pivoted. 
So we'll have to see what happens in uh, end of 2023 or 2024. That's kind of my forward-leaning take on that. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I agree, there's often a sort of pendulum swing. People all are exposed to some economic stimulus, some situation, and then they make their decisions of, hmm, I'm going to get into air freight because, you know, the CAS index has shown that we're spending 83% more than we were two years ago. So let's just expand and we become air freight people. And then you get more entries to the market than they compete. And then all of a sudden that drives it down, especially if uh, consumer demand is changing like you were describing. Um, yeah, some there may be some permanent knock-on effects from COVID policies and certain different things, but I think generally we'll see pendulum swings back and forth. You know, um, we're going to start building a bunch more ships. We're going to have a lot more air carriers, you know, right away. It was just, can mm. we repurpose uh, planes outfitted for humans just to start putting cargo on? And then you started seeing more and more cargo dedicated airlines going on with this. And there will be some need, and you're right, in some industries, there will always be air, uh, air cargo and cap logistics can always get you hooked up with that. Though you're right, I think the market will change where you're not going to send everything by air all the time in the future. And if too many companies got into it because of what we've seen the last couple of years, there probably will be fire sales of companies, of planes, of assets, and probably a reduction of the peak of air cargo capacity. Um, yeah, I mean, especially tying it into some of the other topics with clean energy type things, what's that going to look for in the future? I know we've talked about mm -hmm. it a little bit, but um, what's the cleanest way to move things around the world? If we're starting to add on some of those ESG or some type of targets, companies might voluntarily start looking at those things themselves before regulation comes in and starts dictating how they can operate their transportation businesses. Exactly. Yeah. Great take on that one for sure. Great take. Well, Keenan. I think uh, A plus as far as you filling in for for <laughs> for Pete. I appreciate it. It's always always great to have and talk to you. You and I talk all the time, you know, on lots of other other things. But it's cool to have you on the show. Appreciate all your perspectives as usual. Thank you. So for sure. And I want to thank our audience for joining us this week. Global Trade This Week. That's the name of the show. Hope you enjoy it. And Hey, we say this in there, so I'm talking to you, the listeners and the audience out there. We want some feedback. Put some comments. If you think we're knuckleheads and we don't know what we're talking about, tell us. If you think we're spot on, tell us. Uh, we want your feedback, and, uh, and we will reply. Suggestions on topics as well. Kick them in there. So I think that's it. Look forward to uh, firing up the show again next week, and thank all of you for joining us. Have an awesome, awesome week. Take care. See you, everybody.